Welcome to JR Out Loud, the podcast of Jewish Renaissance. My name's Judy Herman, and I am so delighted to be talking to Alice Hamilton, who is directing Harold Pinter's The Dumb Waiter in a production at Hampstead Theatre, which is 60th anniversary of opening the theatre. So welcome, Alice. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's really nice to chat about it. And it's going to be this year, isn't it, just? Yes, we, we hope we will be, be able to squeeze it in before the, before the 60 years is up, yeah. First of all, I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed your blood wedding in Wiltshire. You probably know that. Thank you. Because I absolutely loved it. Oh, brilliant. Well, thank you. I see that this is your first play on the Hampstead main stage. Mm-hmm. But you're very, very um, au fait with, with Hampstead. So is that exciting to make that transition? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really thrilling. It's been a great theatre for me in terms of sort of giving me opportunities at a particular point in my career. Um, and with the two plays I did downstairs, it was, you know, both quite different things. But uh, it was just being in an environment where you feel incredibly supported. And mm-hmm. um, it's just it feels like a bit of a family there. You know, they're very welcoming. And so when I got the call about this, I thought, well, that's absolutely you know, just, just sort of too good to choose an offer, really, having the chance to tackle a, a classic text, which I have not had much experience of in my career, and obviously, yeah, doing it on the, on the main stage there. Because you've got, you've, you've done such a lot that's been located as well, and down in, in Wiltshire, and with Barney Norris writing, and with your own company, Up in Arms, which is a great name, I love it. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, it's a name that doesn't necessarily suit the company that well oh. um, in terms of the fact that I think um, the main body of our, our work has been quite um, sort of defined by the idea of quietism, ruralism, those sorts of things. Um, not necessarily the kind of thing that makes people feel uh, politically inflamed or anything, mm. um, which the, the name of the company slightly uh, leads one towards. Yeah, I did wonder. Mm-hmm. I think in a way that the name came as it was a student company to start with, and then it's developed into something else. And by a certain point, you think, well, we can't really change the name of our company now. You know, we've got, we've got another No, one. you've got form. <laughs> so, Pinto, were you were asked to do this and you were attracted to Pinto? Or what's your relationship and history with Pinto? Um, it's, it's very recent. I mean, it sort of dates back to, uh, yeah, the, the offer of this play and obviously I've seen lots of Pinter's work over the years um I've I've never directed it never sort of approached it in my in my own work and um so Hampstead came to me with with this offer and I felt yeah both very excited but also quite daunted because obviously it is it's very different as you say from the work I've done with my company and with Barney um and also my work outside of the company has been lots of new writing um so the way I've always approached plays in the past has been as something that is new to audiences so people coming to watch it you know assuming that they will not know what they're going to get whereas obviously with Pinter people are quite familiar with his work and and have certain expectations and so that brings with it a different sort of um, pressure I guess. (laughs) I feel that you might mint it anew I tell you what I find really interesting I suddenly realised you're a woman director, and I know Pinto writes lots of great stuff, you know, for women, and there are lots of power plays between men and women, but this is a very male sort of a play. And, in fact, I looked at the team that you're working with, and it's pretty well, they all seem to be men. So I just think 
great. I think it's fantastic. You're a woman directing this. Mm, it is very Pinterest, as the saying goes, but it is very male, isn't it? I mean, what do you what do you make of that? What was that daunting or exciting or both or neither? It's interesting, yeah, because obviously that's that's completely true. Um, it is clearly a very male play. I suppose I I never really uh, think about my gender going into something and because obviously that's that's just that's just who I am so I'm mm. going to bring my own personal approach to something um regardless of that I guess that it, it may affect the way that I approach it in some way sort of below below consciousness but yeah and I, I don't know whether that was sort of was in in the theatre's um mind when they asked me to do it um it, it feels like potentially in, in this current climate as well, um, where there is sort of more of a push for kind of um, equal opportunities and, and, and diversity in people on stage and off stage, that that probably would have been a priority. But yeah, I haven't been aware in the process um, of making decisions based on that. Mm. No, I just, just wonder, because then I suddenly thought, well, this is one of those quite testosterone-charged ones of his, for me, at any rate, I mean, these, these two guys. Um, and I just thought, wouldn't it be amazing if it was cast with two women? I wonder what would happen. It it's interesting be. you say that. Yeah, I mean, we we had the conversation um, in because I think I, I was interested when we were talking about casting with uh, first time round for this play of the way it could actually be anybody. Um, you know, Pinter doesn't give you specific in, uh, instructions on that front. You are told it's two men in a room, but actually in terms of their background, who they are, ages, um, it's really free. Um, I think we felt like the the gender thing might might be the line that um, is not ready to be crossed yet in terms mm. of the general, you know, the Pinterest state and everything. Um, and, and that's something that, that is important. I mean, I'm very much as a as a director, even when it's not a new play, even when it's a, a play that has had lots of other productions, um, it feels important to me that the primary thing is serving the writer's intention. So I'm not really interested in in coming up with a pro and an approach that is sort of concept driven or or trying to make a statement of kinds. I think and and I sort of felt like I didn't know it, it, what point I would be trying to make. You know, I think there has to be a very good reason for that. And and so it's sort of a conversation that we had, but kind of eventually came to the conclusion that it might be distorting the play too much to, to, to do that whilst reading it in the sort of the context of the time you know it's still it's still a sort of 1950s 60s London thing and I think it it might have just taken it too far away from that yeah so it's interesting so it, you you do feel that it's rooted in time and place then I mean it, it was first it opened the Hampstead Theatre didn't it exactly yeah 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 60 years ago and mm. we're, we're going to get it on within that sort of oh. year anniversary but who knows yeah I thought of that when I saw that you had to postpone it from the spring because of coronavirus yeah. and now another postponement it's really hard isn't it on yeah. the other hand I, I suppose it's a sort of lockdown play because these two guys are locked down in a basement aren't they so um well they... it's yeah it's quite strange that when it was programmed that wasn't in mind and no one saw any of this happening and suddenly yes we're rehearsing a play about solitary confinement pretty much and, and being trapped in a space yeah yeah I mean there's no windows that yeah, they yeah, are. yeah. no I think it's definitely got very new resonances because of that yeah that's what I was thinking and I just had another look at it actually and I thought yes it it's a sort of a it's, it's sort of a play for today and it's a very strange way and I think people will feel 
that when they come to see it. So, I mean, you know, you don't have to, to do anything to achieve that. Do you think we should just, it's nice to just say, could you set up where the play begins and who we're going to meet? Yeah, so the play um, is very simply two hitmen stuck in a room, passing time while they, they wait to carry out a job. Um, and that's the premise that Pinty gives us. And obviously anything else uh, is kind of conjecture in, in the true Pinter way, you know, he, he sort of um, uh, defies that kind of categorization. So obviously there's, uh, ac across the course of the play, there's exploration of sort of, you know, power struggles and the nature of partnership, betrayal, but, but fundamentally it's about the dynamic between, between these two men, Ben and Gus, and, and yes, wait, waiting to carry out uh, a job and to get their instructions from their their boss, uh, Wilson, who is the kind of un, uh, unseen presence. Yes, when I was just thinking about it again, he, Pinter does drip feed information. You have to wait a very long time to even know that there is a Wilson. So I, I've sort of never really noticed that before, but in a way, I suppose it's because the the junior hitman Gus is also being uh, drip fed information. So I suppose we're sort of hearing it with him, aren't we, in a way? Yes, and I think it's deliberately kept quite um, elusive because obviously you're not you're supposed to always be questioning what the actual truth is. Um, so it's very important that that we don't see him and that. You know, when when messages come, the way they come is e even that is kind of um, subject to, to mm. questioning. You know, they they receive eventually. I don't think it's a spoiler alert. So they receive these messages via a, a dumb waiter, and then they find the speaking tube that sends communicating through. And but obviously, I think everything that we're given, um, we are asked to to doubt. Um, <laughs> does Wilson even exist? I mean, you know that. That's absolutely up, up for grabs, I think. That's a very, very good point. Does he actually exist? There's some, we sort of said there, Hitman, you have to wait a bit before that's obvious. You're too. right. Yes, that's true. Mm. Um, mm. That's been interesting in rehearsals, trying to track the information that the audience gets and, and, mm. and when they get that and making sure we're sort of uh, being clear to hit those points that Pinter has given us, but also not um, layering more than is is there so you know it's specific the moment at which the gun is revealed for the first time and that's the it's not spoken about but one of them gets a gun from out of the pillow from from under his pillow which is clearly where they keep them and then you'll start that's a piece of the jigsaw mm. and you're sort of is there and then you're fitting other pieces around it we're um, not giving away too much here are we do you think i don't i don't think so no i i think um i think the premise of them being two hitmen is is Okay. <laughs> it's well known, yeah. I find it very Tarantino-esque, because you often get, I mean, you do get that thing in Tarantino as well, where people are sort of uh, confined and dangerous. Interesting, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In its way. But um, I'd like, I think we should talk a bit about Pinter from your point of view, but I would like to also talk about, I mean, we, we talked about Gus, who is a junior, uh, hitman and there's Ben is the senior hitman. Would you like to tell me about your actors? Because um, I don't know very much about them, but they sound like terrific. So we've got Alec Newman as Ben, who's done stuff at Hampstead before, and Shane Zaza as Gus. So. Yes, that's right. Um, they are, they're great. I worked with Alec on a play last year that actually um, 
had strong uh, Pinter resonances. And uh, so it's been very exciting kind of getting to reunite with him um, on this project and kind of go further into that exploration of, of uh, creeping menace. And uh, yeah, this is Shane's first performance at um, All Pass Production at Hampstead. Um, and I've not worked with him before. I've seen him in uh, lots of things. And so when we came to sort of casting for this production, kind of thought that would be a great fit. And the two of them together, there's a really, there's a really great dynamic there actually. The, obviously you never quite you can never quite know when you're putting actors together and for something mm. like this that's so important because obviously it's, yeah, it's just the two of them and, and as I said it's about the nature of uh partnership um and I think they're both finding a kind of uh playfulness which sits within the Pinterest uh form or specificity but in a, in a quite an exciting way that's just brilliant that that word playfulness because it's definitely there isn't it mm, yeah you know? It's there in the script. Um, it's, it's very, very funny, isn't exactly. it? Exactly, and I think that feels important because obviously there is all of the darkness and the, and the, the creeping menace within it, but actually you you need the lightness. And, and as you say, it's completely, it's, it's written. Um, and we've had quite a lot of fun kind of trying to piece together who these who these people are and what, what the dynamic between them might have been before this... Um, mm scenario in which we find them now. Yeah, I'll tell you what I f suddenly found funny that of course they've got the dumb waiter of the title. It could <laughs> yeah. be, it could be con construed in different ways, but it is actually that dumb waiter lift that that, that you see in restaurants that takes food yeah. up and down. But there's this sort of wonderful succession of meals, increasingly exotic meals that have demanded from above on bits yeah. of paper, all sorts of cuisine. You know, from Greek, and particularly considering it was written in the 1960s, some really exciting meals, you know, from Greek being ordered. But all that goes back up is a packet of crisps, mm. and an Eccles cake, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, just, it is very funny. I mean, it's daft. Actually. Yeah, I think it's the situational uh, mm. comedy. It's just so bizarre. And, and mm. what I think this, where the humour comes from is the way that these, they sort of, um, the way they choose to respond to it. So actually, the understatement of Gus saying, "Well, that's that's a bit funny, isn't it?" When actually, well, it's it's more than a bit funny that you're stuck in this room and suddenly the subwaiter arrives asking for, you know, uh, liver and onions or soup of the day or whatever it is. <laughs> it is quite quite extraordinary, isn't it? So, do you play the pauses? Do you try them out as writ? Because they're there in the script, aren't they? And I know when I spoke to Jamie Lloyd, he said. Uh, Pinter once got at an actor and said, you know what, you've just played me a two-dot pause and I'd put, I'd put three dots in, which I thought was hysterical. But obviously people would reinterpret it as they want to. But Jamie said he always played the, the pauses as ripped. And, but if, he didn't like, didn't, if they didn't work, then he'd go away from them. What do, what do you make? I mean, you know, I know it's become a sort of, um, not exactly a cliche, but you know what I mean? People got a lot of the Pinter pause. But what do you make of that whole, the way... So the pauses... <laughs> um, I was going to say he's up there looking down. <laughs> yeah, so we've had a lot of jokes about what Pinter would be thinking about the, what's been happening over the last year with this production, the, you know, <laughs> the constant pause that we've had on it. Um, no, it's really it's a really interesting question um, because I I've never quite experienced anything like it. And so in rehearsals, I've it's been um, fascinating to to see the effect that these pauses really do have. And so I've absolutely approached them um, in the way that if it, we do it as it's written first, bearing in mind the possibility that if we, you know, if it doesn't work, then 
we we don't do it and actually we found that it it always works um and that it makes it a completely different thing i mean i remember reading um i think it's probably peter hall talking about it and and saying that you know it's it, it's an extra line in itself so actually a pause is not something that is just you know it's never gratuitous if it's in there it's in there because it is um a beat in the action um and yeah we've completely found that to be true that we'll be rehearsing something and and you know you think you know what it's about and then actually you go back and you see oh no we, we're, we're adding in an extra sort of micro pause here that's not supposed mm -hmm. to be there um so you do it again take taking that out and it becomes a completely different meaning um oh. and, and that's been yes quite quite fascinating to, to experience actually yes um so they, they're for real i mean that's his yeah. that's his very own thing his own his own uh, signature isn't it i mean it's quite extraordinary because other people don't do that do they yeah and like you say it's become a bit of a thing that people think all oh, the pentapause and you know almost that uh it's it's more of an idea than a reality but actually yeah i think we've, we've sort of been discovering in the in, in rehearsing it that it's they're much more than just that they you know they are sort of integral to to the what the play is so that atmosphere is often an atmosphere of menace. It certainly does build to that here, for sure. There's a lot of repetition as well, whilst we're talking about pauses, and it, it sort of shifts through the repetitions because they change, they echoed, aren't they? So is that interesting to play as well? I think the whole, I think there's just a general, there's a musicality about his work, which is, is quite specific. I mean, I suppose Beckett was doing that as well, and that's maybe, you know, Pinter, I think, acknowledged some kind of, you know, influence from that, but they were both at the start of something with that kind of real um, formal experimentation. That actually, you do you do start with the language and the and what it sounds like, and then and then fill in the rest of it. And I think that's that's been an interesting process because normally my approach would be to begin with characters and backstory and context, and and then you just see what happens from there. And I think with Pinter, you can't really do it like that because actually, then you'd be trying to fit the sounds to something you've already decided and I think the sounds the sounds of the words and the and the and the way that it's written those have to be the things that give, that give you your answers rather than the other way around oh that's fascinating that's completely fascinating yeah. I really do think that as I said I do think it's a very masculine sort of a play we've talked about that it's very interesting because obviously it comes from a Jewish background you know he'd spent quite a lot of time striding around um, the East End with his gang and um, fighting Mosleyites and all that sort of thing. But do you think there's anything Jewish that actually comes through? Or um, I, I think not explicitly, which is very Pinter, because obviously nothing is <laughs> explicit. Um, I think, yeah, unlike some of his contemporaries, maybe, um, who, who had that similar kind of, you know, East, East London Jewish background, I think they're with Pinter, yes, potentially there are influences that feed their way in, but I think he was always, um, he always denied that they, that his play should be viewed through that lens. Um, I, I think there's something with, with the, um, the homecoming, which has definitely been interpreted as a, as a thing about a, a, a Jewish family and the um, marrying outside of that. But he resist, resisted that interpretation and saying, no, you know, it's, it's, it's not about that. It's, it's, it should be, viewed in a broader context um so see so yeah, i mean he, he denies it i don't know i don't know whether yeah um, i think he's right though i mean 
I wouldn't have said when I first saw the homecoming, it never crossed my mind as it was meant to be Jewish at all. Really? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's just a sort I of think you sort of write from your own experience, so it might be that you know things creep in that feel like they they have those resonances, but but yeah, there's never a sort of an agenda, I think, and that's the thing with Pinter as well. I suppose sort of religion and politics that whatever his position is, I think he he sort of steps back from making it a kind of argument for any particular cause or position. Yes, it's, he, I mean, he, it's very interesting because he has been very a very passionate um, mm. political writer or campaigner anyway. It doesn't always yeah. creep into the writing or it does have been something like mountain language. I yes, I mean, I think he changed his position on it actually uh, later in his life when he, with the earlier plays, um, he, he was initially denying that there was any sort of political angle and saying, you know, he wouldn't know a symbol if he saw one. Um, but then later on actually said that they're, they're much more political than people think, including the dumb waiter, that they're actually, you know, a, a metaphor for um, ideas of kind of authoritarian power structures and things. So I think retrospectively, he was actually able to observe that they are, they are quite political. And that, you know, with dumb waiter, you can absolutely read it through that um, prism. It's terribly interesting that you can, as you say, you can read it so many different ways. And I also, when I looked at it again, and I thought of it in, in the light of today, you could see that they could, that what could all be behind it was drug dealing. I mean, we don't know, but, it's, oh, yeah, yeah. but you know, in, in today's, um, or, you know, as you say, it could easily be a politics. And that's what's important is to uh, leave it open to that to interpretation that it could be any of those things. I think that that's the most important thing with all of his plays is that the audience are empowered to fill in the gaps as they as they wish. It's, 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 it may be in, um, well, in the future, not maybe 400 years time. It's a bit like Shakespeare. We reinterpret it all the time. We interpret Pinter. I'm putting him up there, aren't I, saying that? But you know what I mean. You know, we, we don't know. We just don't know. Yeah. So, um, would would you think that do, do you think that very English as well you say that very English mm. that's interesting um uh I think he's I mean I suppose he's not English in the kind of rooted rooted English sense in that there is that lack of uh specificity in terms of actual context and setting for the plays um but in terms of the voice I think he he probably is because the sort of the those street rhythms or the you know there's, there's the connection with the kind of the the language of music hall and that sort of thing mm. as well. So maybe in terms of the the general feel of it probably is, but but again in the true you know classic pin to sort of un, unspecific way. Yeah, do you, do you know? I, I I can see that it's just here. Ben, the senior guy. At one point, he and Gus are talking football. Um, yes, that's true. Actually, yeah, no, there are having having said there isn't that specificity. You get these little things dropped in that 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 give you that. Yeah, the Tottenham Hotspur gets gets the name check. Yeah, and the Villa, Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, that's true. And and then there's a sort of moment where you think, oh, maybe they're in Birmingham, but I don't think they are, are they? I think it's very London, but we don't know. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we as part of the rehearsal process, we kind of try to go through and ask all the questions and find the answers that we could find, and that was absolutely one of the ones we thought, well, yeah, maybe we're in Birmingham. <laughs> it's kind of important that we don't commit to that being the case because Pinter doesn't commit to that being the case. So, 
you know, it's, it's put out there as a possibility, um, like all these things. It's rather wonderful because, you know, if, if you think poor Gus, Gus is confused, we could be confused oh, too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm, and why not? So it's selling brilliantly. You've had to put it off twice. In some ways, I think it's built up a head of steam because people can't wait. I It was going to be my first going back into real life theatre. I think it still will be. But well, how, how do you feel about that? I mean, you know, remember my football's coming home. I hope theatre's coming <laughs> home. I think we should talk a little yeah. bit about you know the circumstances in which we are, which is so terribly difficult for an industry that's a bit... It's a bit like an iceberg theatre, isn't it? That the audience only see the top bit, but there are so many people paddling away underneath, aren't there? So... Yeah, I think it's really tough that it keeps getting pushed back and back, that every time you have that sort of glimmer of hope, that then, you know, we're, we're totally at the, at the mercy of the, of the higher powers, uh, like in the play, in fact. Um, <laughs> so, yes, I think we have to just take things um, as they come but but like the people yeah the people behind the scenes are are working incredibly hard to try and make it possible um, that, that it can happen at the earliest possible moment with all the safety precautions in place I mean I think yes the people at Hampstead have um, have, have had to have a total kind of overhaul of, of how they of how the, the building will operate when it when it reopens eventually obviously because you know all these different measures that have to be put in place so hopefully in in December, theatres will be able to reopen and, and audiences will feel able to come back and enjoy live theatre again. Well, I certainly can't wait to come back and enjoy live theatre again. I don't care how much hand wash it takes. <laughs> I should bring my own, use yours and all the rest of it. Yeah. yeah. And somehow it's got to happen in 2020. Yeah, the hope is that we, we will be able to sort of tentatively open those doors and, and people will feel sufficiently sort of emboldened to be able to come back to the theatre and, and enjoy seeing work on our stage. Alice, I want to thank you for talking to me today about your production of The Dumb Waiter at Hampstead Theatre, which is going to take us back into real life in the theatre, I hope. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure.